please meet me in Psalm 16. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord, I have no good apart from you. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones, in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. Therefore my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to shale or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Together. Take then your truths and plant them deep in us. Shape and fashion us to your likeness, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. At the beginning of the conflict between Russia and Ukraine, I wrote an article for the Hoylake Messenger about the invisible war that is all around us, the war that is fought not with bullets, but with beliefs. The war that intensifies when a person becomes a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. See, when a person turns from sin and trusts in the Lord Jesus Christ, he or she discovers that he now has the world to contend with. His own or her own flesh to contend with and an enemy who prowls around seeking someone to devour. In a month or so, we're going to be, God willing, in Ephesians chapter 6. And you remember what the Apostle Paul, Paul writes there, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. And then later in that passage, he says, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and the shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith 
with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. Well, here in Psalm 16, we meet a war-torn saint. Psalm 16, verse 1, Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. Just think about that for a moment. This is David the giant slayer writing. This is David the lion killer praying. This is David the bear killer crying out to God for preservation. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. We don't know why. Unlike our passage last Sunday night, we're not given the historical background to Psalm 16. And there's actually a part of me that's glad that we don't have the historical background to Psalm 16. Why do I say that? Well, I say that because sometimes we can come to a psalm desperate. We ourselves feel weary. We're in need of help. And we read the historical context or the setting above the psalm. And we think to ourselves, well, that's not exactly my situation. And so maybe this psalm isn't really for me. But the point is whether you, if you feel war-torn here tonight against the flesh, the world, and the devil against the whole host of God's enemies who would seek to hunt you down and rob you of your faith and confidence in the Lord Jesus Christ, then Psalm 16 is a psalm for you because it's a psalm for all those who are in need of divine preservation. That is all of us. All of us. And therefore, Psalm 16 extends a hand to you out of the pages of the Bible and would seek to draw you in and invite you to sit at its feet and for you to hear the word and listen to the counsel that it has for you. The point of Psalm 16 is simply this. God preserves those who treasure him. God preserves those who treasure him. Preserve me, O God, verse 1, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. And what we have in the verses following that introductory verse are four aspects or four truths about the man or the woman who does treasure the Lord. We see number one, his company. Number two, his reward. Number three, his help. And number four, his preservation. Number one then, his company. Look at verses three and four. The psalmist writes, As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones, in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. How can you know whether you're someone who treasures God or not? Well, here's one answer to that question. You can know by looking at your friends. Are your friends friends who treasure God too? Because very naturally, our hearts become knit to those who love what we love and who treasure what we treasure and esteem 
what we esteem. And if we love God, then clearly we'll be friends with those who love him too. There is a reason why your friends are your friends in particular. It's why the Apostle Paul writes, what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? Well, the rhetorical answer to that question is none. But what fellowship has righteousness with righteousness? And what friendship does light have with light? Well, the obvious answer is loads. And I really do believe that that's all David meant when he said to Jonathan, your love to, to me was extraordinary, surpassing the love of women, because the friendship, friendship in the Lord is of a divine caliber. It's a, it's a divine love. It's a love that echoes or mirrors or reflects the very love of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And so if you, wanna, if you want to know what you treasure and who you treasure, ask yourself, who are my friends? David says here that his friends, his chosen company were the saints in the land. That is, those with consecrated hearts. They are the excellent ones, he says, in whom is all my delight. And you may stumble over those words, all my delight, because David had just prayed, I have no good apart from you. But the point is this, his delight was in those who reminded him most of his heart's treasure and love. If you've been on a, a premarital counseling course, you've probably seen that triangle before. God is at the top of the triangle and the husband and the wife are on the left and the right. And the whole point is, uh, the nearer that you draw to God, the, ne the nearer that you will join to one another. And the more you prioritize intimacy with God, the more real the intimacy will be with one another. As David got closer to God, he got closer to the saints who were in the land, those who treasure the Lord will, with him. Well, the application could hardly be more obvious. If you want to grow in treasuring God, then cement yourself, stitch yourself, bind yourself to those who treasure God as well. Where are they? Well, they are in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. This was our prayer, wasn't it, for, for Josh and Sophie and Pip, who's gone off to university as well, that they would make friends with those who treasure God and encourage them to treasure God as well. And if you're watching this online, when you actually could be here in this room tonight, do let me just say this to you. You, you are cutting off a lifeline for yourself. Because at the end of the day, how good is YouTube in a war. And in just the same way that I can't settle for a virtual wife, you can't settle for a virtual church. You need the real thing. And God preserves those who treasure him. And so we've seen first his company. But I want us to see second, his rewards. Look at verse five and six. It says, the Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. Very sadly, there are some who believe that David didn't write this psalm 
And they say that it must have been a, a Levitical priest who wrote this psalm. Why? Well, because when the, uh, when, when the Israelites came into the land of Canaan, the land was divided up across the 11 tribes. But for the tribe of Levi, they had no physical grounds, no physical inheritance, because instead the Lord was to be their inheritance. That's why some of your translations, they add the word boundary lines in verse 6, because the lines there refer to the, the division of Canaan for the tribe of Israel. No lines drawn for the Levites. God was to be their reward. But if we take God at his word tonight, and if we believe that David wrote Psalm 16, just as we're told that David did in fact write Psalm 16, then what David is saying here is profound and powerful because what he's saying is what Fanny Crosby said all those years ago, take the world, but give me Jesus. You can have the grounds beneath my feet. You can take it all. You can take my home. You can take even the clothes on my back. None of those things are my reward. The Lord is my reward. He's all that I need. He's not only all that I need. He's all that I have. And he's my cup of blessing that overflows. And he's my encouragement in the discouragement. He's my beautiful inheritance. Whether I have a throne in Jerusalem or whether I'm running from Saul or from Absalom, my son. I have all the reward that I could never need because God is my God. And he is for me and he is not against me. And I'm known by him and he loves me and I love him. That's what Paul was saying in Philippians 3. You remember when he says, I count everything as lost for the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. Why? He's my chosen portion. He's my cup that overflows. He's my pleasant place. He's my beautiful inheritance. He loved me first. And when I didn't want him, he wanted me. And when I ran from him, he ran to me. And when I was busy disobeying him, he was busy obeying for me. And even when I drove those nails through his hands and his feet and rammed the spear through his side, he bled and died for me. And he said, Father, forgive him because he knows not what he does. And so what is all of the material blessing compared with the fairest among 10,000? Well, nothing at all. And how does that treasuring of Christ become more and more of a reality in our lives, especially when the boundary lines have fallen for us in rather pleasant places here on the Wirral. Well, you know, we grow in our treasuring of God very often through hardship and suffering. It happens when we find ourselves crying out with David this exact prayer, preserve me, O God. For in you I take refuge. God, if you don't preserve me, I am gone. God, if you don't hem me in, I have nothing. God, if you don't take your omnipotent everlasting arms and hold me as a father would hold his son or daughter, then Lord, I am drowning in sinking sand and there is no return for me. It's you or it's nothing. It's heaven or it's hell. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. In fact, just before the land was divided up with these boundary lines before, uh, before the children of Israel, you remember what 
what Moses said. He said, when you have eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. Be careful, Moses said, that you do not forget the law, forget the Lord your God, failing to observe his commands, his laws and his decrees that I'm giving you this day. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, and when your herds and flocks grow large, and your silver and gold increase, and all you have is multiplied, then your heart will become proud, and you will forget the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of, of the land of slavery. He led you through the vast and dreadful wilderness, that, that thirsty and waterless land, with its venomous snakes and scorpions. He brought you water out of hard rock. He gave you manna to eat in the wilderness, something your ancestors had never known to humble and to test you so that in the end it might go well with you. You may say to yourself, my, my power and the strength of my hands has produced this wealth for me, but remember the Lord your God for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth and so confirms his covenant which he swore to your ancestors as it is today. And yet they did become proud, didn't they? And they did become puffed up. And they did become hardened in heart. So what did God have to do? He had to remove the land from them. And he had to drive them out of the land to humble them. And to make them look heavenward. And to have them cry, preserve us, O God. For in you I take refuge. Lord, it's you or it's nothing because you're all that we have. And so church, can I say this to us? Today, do not despise hard providences. Do not despise disappointments. They could be the very means by which God is taking out the fool's gold from your hand in order to put in its place the real treasure that is God himself. We grow the most, don't we, when life is hardest. It's then that we have nothing to fall back on but God, and when I look back on my own life, only 34 years old, that's my testimony too. That in the hardest times, and in the most difficult times, and even in the most bitter disappointments, that's when you find your feet going two miles into the earth. That's when you find yourself immovable and unshaken counting everything as lost for the surpassing worth that's in Christ. So third, we see his help, the help of the one who treasures God. Look at verses seven and eight. It says, I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me because he, he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. How does God preserve those who treasure him? Well, he does it through his moral counsel and instruction that he writes on our hearts. And we know that to be true, don't we? That all personal and all societal disorder is owing to the rejection of God's moral counsel and instruction given to us in the Word and in Christ. But all personal and social order results from yielding to the counsel and the instruction of God in his word. In other words, when his government is set up within us, there is peace 
and there is order and there is stability because we're not depending on ourselves but on his wisdom. And this is essentially Proverbs in a nutshell, isn't it? What does it say in Proverbs 1? Because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord and would have none of my counsel and despised all my reproof. Therefore, they shall eat the fruit of their way and have their fill of their own devices for the simple are killed by their turning away and the complacency of fools destroys them. But whoever listens to me will dwell secure and will be at ease without dread or or disaster. And therefore, friend, can I say this? Set the Lord before you now. Now, why, why do I say that? Well, I say that because it is all too easy for some of us to drift and to breeze and to meander and to coast through life then experience an an earthquake of hardship and then run to the Lord but you see how David is saying here he says no I set the Lord always before me in the good times and in the bad times when I'm basking in the sunlight of blessing and when I find myself in that dungeon of despair I have set the Lord always before me What did Jesus say? Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell And great was the fall of it. Friends, set the Lord before you now. Listen to his counsel now. Yield to his instruction now so that you won't be shaken when the tectonic plates of your life begin to grind together. I listened to this preacher who has in his Bible in the front cover just here a a, a picture of a man called John Rogers that's sellotaped on the, on the inside. Who was John Rogers? Well, John Rogers was the first uh, man, first preacher to be burned at the stake under Bloody Mary. And someone wrote this about him. It was claimed that when the fire took hold of his body, he washed his hands in the flame as though it had been in cold water. And lifting up his hands to heaven, he did not move them again until they were consumed in the devouring fire. And friends, we don't know what our future holds, do we? And yet we can set his instruction before us today. And we can be prepared today for whatever happens tomorrow. And whether a cancer diagnosis is 10 years away, Whether there's a trial for some alleged hate crime in your life, in my life, or holding to biblical Christianity. And whether you lose a spouse or a friend, this is how God preserves the ones who treasure him. By setting his counsel and instruction always before them. And when he does, we bless the Lord as David does here. And so we see, fourthly and lastly, his preservation. 
again at verses 9 to 11. It says, therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. And so if the point of Psalm 16 is God preserves those who treasure him, then here is a picture of preservation. David's heart was glad. His whole being rejoiced. Why? Well, because he knew that God's preservation would stretch all the way from this life into the next life. And then instead of being abandoned to the grave and being corrupted in death, God's plan, God's path of life would extend all the way from David's feet into the path to heaven where there is fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore and where there are no longer any cries needed to be preserved. But we know, don't we, as New Testament believers, that ultimately this is a psalm not about King David, but about King David's greater grandson, the King, the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Listen to these words again from the Apostle Peter. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men, God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope, for you will not abandon my soul to, to Hades, or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. And then Peter said this, Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. And friends, the glorious encouragement for us tonight is this. If we are one with that Jesus, then his eternal life is ours. And his heaven belongs to us. And the truth that his flesh was not abandoned to Hades will be our truth as well in our resurrected bodies. God cannot deny himself. We are one with Christ. I cannot die. My life is purchased with his blood. One with himself. And so friend, listen, are you with Jesus tonight? Are you one with him? 
Have you been united to Jesus by faith and by faith alone? Have you turned away from sin and have you embraced the Lord Jesus Christ with the arms of faith? Friend, that is not a process. It happens in a moment. You may not be exactly aware of when it happened. But there is a time in your life when you go from not trusting Christ to trusting Christ. And therefore, friend, have you done that? Because if not, the corruption and the decay and the death that David speaks of here in Psalm 16 will be a description of your body and your soul and your mind and your life. But if you are one with Christ then his matchless and everlasting and eternal life will be yours now and to the day of eternity. And therefore, look, friends, embrace him today, the Lord of life and the King of love, and receive his life as your own. In Jesus' name, I plead with you. Amen. 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 Well, we're going to sing.